Welcome to The How of Business with your host, Henry Lopez, the podcast that helps you start, run, and grow your small business. And now, here is your host. This is Henry Lopez, and welcome to this episode of The How of Business. My guest today is Neil Parekh. Neil, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Henry. Excited to be here. Yeah, so am I. Neil is with me today to share the story of how he launched Made This, a business that specializes in cleaning services for residential homes and short-term vacation rental properties. And he's grown it into a fully remote local business. I'll come back to that, a fully remote local business and, and how he helps others to do the same. If you want to receive more information about the Howa business, including links to the show notes page for this episode, you can just uh, text the word VIZ to 772-837-5700. Or just go to thehowofbusiness.com. But uh, let me tell you a little bit more about Neil, and then we'll get into the conversation. Neil Parekh is the founder and CEO of Made This and also Made This Franchise. That's the franchise arm, and we'll chat about that. And again, they, they help homeowners and short-term rental hosts, like people who own uh, apartments or condos that they put on Airbnb and VRBO owners with their cleanerly needs, all everything related to cleaning those properties. They have generated millions in revenue while having a fully remote team. This is the key component here. And now he's on a mission to help others achieve the same. He's been, as he calls himself, a digital nomad for almost five years and still vagabonding around the world, at least pre-COVID he was. And he started his career working in venture capital and private equity and worked for more than four years in the areas of identifying and analyzing investment opportunities and managing investment portfolio. Neil now lives in the Los Angeles, California area. So once again, Neil Parekh, welcome to the show. Thank you very much, Henry. That was a great introduction, better than I could have done. So I'm happy you said it. <laughs> That's all good. You have a lot of experiences there. And I also want to give a shout out to Ethan Janney, who connected us. I think you were on his Run With It podcast not too long ago, right? Yeah, yeah. That's a really fun podcast, actually. So yeah, yeah he's a great guy. We're, yeah. We we spend a lot of time together on a, on a podcasting mastermind. And so uh, Ethan has been gracious enough to send me a lot of great guests over the over the years. Cool. All right, let, let's dive into it. I want to get started with the journey. And where I'd like to get started, if you could give me just a brief synopsis of your early career. You're young. So uh, what did you do before you, well, we talked about it with the investment banking, venture capital and stuff, but tell me a little bit about that career. Sure. So that, I actually did that uh, immediately post-college. So my, my early career, um, graduated from uh, university with an economics and psychology degree and went straight to work for finance, <laughs> corporate finance. So I was working for a venture capital private equity company. And at the time, it was a lot of kind of outbound calls, outbound calls to find le leads for deals. Then we'd, I'd work on the deal and we'd invest money in the company. So I did that for about four years. Um, and honestly, I, I liked it. I mean, they, it was fascinating. And the firm I was with, the, the people were great. Uh, they actually let us younger people work on the deals as opposed to many firms who maybe don't allow that. Mm -hmm. So I think I got a ton of really, really good experience from that. Because you were uh, doing I mean, more than just lead generation. You were actually working opportunities. Exactly. Where, you know, hey, if you'd find the deal, you get to actually work on the deal. And the way that whole industry works is kind of like the number of deals you do is your like trophy. Like I have done this many deals. That is that is what you tell people. So being able to do that at a young age, I think was actually very opening for me to learn a ton. 
Um, so I think great learning opportunity. Um, at the same time, you know, it was still corporate. So, you know, you have to report in for hours. There were long hours, many weeks as you are in finance. Um, and I, to be honest, I just didn't really fully feel like myself over there. Um, and, you know, nothing about the firm, but more about just the aspect of working a job for somebody else instead of creating something by myself. So I always knew in the back of my head, I wanted to start something else and I just wasn't sure what. So before we, we get a little bit more into the, that motivation, that that cold or maybe a best warm cold calling, warm calling, that that is tough, man. Did you did you have to like get yourself in the mental mindset to do that? Or do you think it came to you naturally to be able to do that? Definitely not naturally at the beginning. I mean, I think like my first or second day, I made one phone call for, for cold calling, right? You're just so nervous and you're like, I've just this 22 year old kid, why are these CEOs going to talk to me? Uh, then after you do it for a while, you just becomes kind of habit. And honestly, that was the best skill I learned from that job. So huge it, skill, right? Huge, huge. Because now I have no fear of doing that anytime for networking, for customers, anything. And if you think like, think about that, that was the biggest skill I learned in venture capital, as opposed to how to build a financial model, as opposed to how to analyze companies. Like the skill, which I think was the most useful, was something where you don't even need to go to venture capital for, which is cold calling. Um, hugely helpful just in anything in life, because now I could pick up a phone and I will cold call anyone. I will network with anyone just because I don't have any fear around it. You don't have the fear of rejection, which I think is the biggest thing. Yeah, exactly. And it goes away rather quickly, quicker than you think. You know, the first week was, I would never forget the first cold call. And luckily, the person on the other end of the call was very, very nice to me, but it was still nervous. My voice was shaking. I didn't really know how to do it. Um, but that is one skill, which is by far been the biggest ROI for, for what I've learned. Yeah. All right. So you're in this career, it could have been or probably was lucrative, but there was mm -hmm. still this thing in you where you wanted to do your own thing. I got to gather, you know, in doing the research, if I got it right, your parents were in the video rental business, right? Yeah. Like the, the old school blockbusters, they, they had their own private one called Video Town. How many locations did they have? They had two in Southern California. So my, my dad actually shut it down, uh, get this, only in late 2017. Wow. So they had it for 32 years. Who, who was, who were the customers there at the end? Who were these people? <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm curious as to yeah. who was still renting videos or did he pivot into something else? No, I mean, it was, it was the loyal customers who've been going there for years. The people who didn't like Netflix, you know, thank you 60 year old plus um, type of customers who, you know, still, they probably are renting DVDs from somewhere. Wow. Um, but of course, you know, near closer to that time, they weren't doing that well financially. Sure. Uh, but for myself growing up, it was a blast. Like the 90s video rental stores, <laughs> all the free candy I want, all the free movies I want. Uh, so growing up, it was a good experience. And also being just around local business and kind of absorbing it through osmosis that way. What did you, you know, so often, uh, I've talked about this various time on the show, often the children of business owners can go one of two ways. They can see all of the pain and suffering that gets brought home. And they say, I want nothing to do with that. Or, you know, they, they see it a different way. What, what was your impression or what impression did it make on you? Uh, that is a fantastic question. I thought about that myself, although I've never been asked that. Uh, I think it was actually what you summarized first is the, the kind of pain of, of what they went through. Uh, there's a couple of things they went through. One is just uh, technology moved quickly. Times changed quickly. They didn't exit when they should have. Another thing I know that they did is... Um, they put all their eggs in one basket in terms of financial, um, which 
you know, was tougher in the two, late 2000, or 2000s, late 2000s. Um, so for me, that my impression of that was always, I'd never want one stream of income. I do not want, whether that's a job, whether that's my company right now, I don't want a stream of income. It's just too risky. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, 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 I kind of always had a sense that, hey, business is very lucrative, but it is risky. Um, so that, that is the impression it left with me is I think local business is fantastic. And I think it's a great hidden gem, which we'll talk about soon. And I, I loosely know, I've always known about local business because of how my parents operated their, their business. Uh, but I also see the downsides of, of local business in general. So that's something yeah. I'm very aware of. But it did not lead you to say, I want nothing to do with being a business owner. No, it, it honestly the opposite, and I, I guess I would need to think about why. But I was, I always thought I wanted to be some sort of business owner. It, it was just in my head of like that's just what you do. Like it just, I was kind of always around that, and I was interested in it. Uh, now we talk about local business, local business. There's running like a larger company, things like that. I think I naturally gravitated towards local business because that's kind of what I knew growing mm-hmm. up. Not saying I took a bunch of skills from my parents' bit of rental stores and I'm using it and made this, but it just it, it felt like the way of doing things just in your mind you know you have Andrew, you have that thing in the back of your head which guides you without you even knowing it it was right. kind of one of those things where i guess i was around it and i somehow ended up in the same space as them yeah no doubt all right yeah. we'll talk about the the details of of made this and launching it but that's around that's the first business that you started uh after you left your career is that correct i, I tried a bunch of things all of which failed okay so <laughs> you had some other side ventures that you tried before made this yeah, yeah. And, you know, there there's small hustle, you call it in college where like, you mm-hmm. know, me and my friends would say, hey, we're going to start this ridiculous thing and let's see how it goes because we're going to be totally rich, right? So a bunch of those during my college years flopped. Uh, the one funny hustle, Henry, would be uh, Obama got elected in 2008. I was in college at the time. So all the newspapers at the time said, you know, first black president. Um, and uh at the time, my school was giving out newspapers for free, and those newspapers were selling on eBay for $100 each. Uh, unfortunately, all of the newspapers were gone. Um, so we thought, hey, what's the next um, What's the next big event? Like, oh, Obama's inauguration. Like, that's got to be huge. So <laughs> we woke up at 4 a.m. and took every single newspaper on campus, every <laughs> single one, hundreds of thousands of newspapers in our dorm room, and we're like, all right, we're going to be rich. Uh, not a single one of them sold. <laughs> How much did you spend on buying up all those newspapers? Uh, I don't even remember. It, oh very slim because we just had to open up the thing. But oh, it was just like. I see. So you took the discount. We, we took the discount. The college discount, we'll call it. <laughs> uh, but small hustles like that. And then going into um, other side hustles I tried was kind of when I was working in my the finance job of uh, just different things I wanted to have as a side hustle in order to help my parents financially. And secondly, I just wanted something where I could travel. I kind of uh, got very infatuated with the idea of the nomad life and doing a nomad life. And, you know, I probably read way too many blogs of how to escape the cubicle. And that's how I came across that idea. But a lot of the ideas I tried were like e-commerce, dropshipping, you know, microblogging, things which you have quote unquote passive income coming in, which you can do from anywhere in the world. That's what I tried to gravitate towards originally. Uh, and somehow yet ended up back in local business. Yeah. All right. So I'm curious, what is your definition? How, how are you a digital nomad now? What, what does that look like for you? Sure. So the, I guess the term to nomad can mean a lot of different things. It's basically someone who's able to work remotely and therefore goes to, let's say another country and works on their business there. 
uh, if you type in digital nomad into Google, you can get a picture of like a dude on a beach with his laptop, <laughs> you know, sipping a beer and working, which is not actually how it works, but it's a great picture. Um, so how I was doing it was, you know, I would, uh, when I quit my job, I, I, I booked a flight to Colombia and South America, and I would pretty much just work on made this there. And how that works, if for anyone who's digital nomad is, you know, you either have an Airbnb, you go to a co-working space, work from anywhere, and just work on your online business from wherever in the world you are. And the way technology has moved um, and how rapidly things have changed with the internet, that's way more possible now than it ever has been. So I think more and more people are realizing that, hey, I don't really need to be tied down to a location anymore. I'm already staring in front of a screen, whether I'm staring in front of a screen in Los Angeles or Colombia or Budapest, it's still a screen. Um, so just that knowledge and that kind of mindset shift is causing a lot of people to go what's called the digital nomad route. Mm -hmm. This was something that you then defined early on as a criteria for whatever business you did develop had to allow you this freedom. Is that right? Absolutely right. Absolutely right. Why, so, why, why, why is that so important to you? You know, I, I there's there's a couple of things I, I got in stuck there with the idea of the, the travel bug. I don't know why. I, I'll blame it on, I guess, study abroad in college. You know, these early experiences shape what you want to do in the world. And I think based off of that, I always thought, I'm going to quit my job and go travel at some point. I thought I'd just be backpacking for a year. So based off of that, I, you know, when I was looking at side hustles to start, I came to came across the world of nomads working remotely. And I thought, well, I want a side hustle. I also want to travel. Why not just start a side hustle in which that would allow me to travel? So it was purely out of just my lifestyle goals and the fact that I thought I'd be backpacking for a year and wanted something to do. So I only searched for businesses, which I could do from somewhere in the world. Yeah. All right. So let's start diving into it, the, what led to the launching and, and now the growth of Made This. So I want to learn a little bit more about what I call the ideation process. You know, some of mm -hmm. it was those failed attempts and these different ideas uh, what was the process that you applied? Because I think that's where a lot of times people get frustrated and kind of paralyzed is that they don't appreciate that finding the right idea is a project or a process in and of itself. At least that's the way I like to look at it. Tell me about how you went about it. Sure. So my one criteria is I want to be able to do this remotely. Yeah. Right. Uh, and yeah. it was necessity. I think if you're working in a corporate job and you're starting a side hustle, you can't physically go to a storefront anyway. So you, first of all, you need something which you can do from your computer at work, at home, you know, like during your lunch breaks, whatever. Uh, but that is already a limiting factor. So I was more, de my decision for my business and company was guided by my limitations. My other limitation was, um, well, it had to be done uh, remotely. And I also wanted to uh, be able to make enough money to support my parents. Maybe they could even contribute and help out in the company. Right. So based off of that criteria, uh, I was limited to, OK, maybe I can start some sort of e-commerce company, services company where I could do it online. Um, so as I was going through my ideas, I completely just said anything with a storefront. No, anything with heavy inventory. No, because I don't know where I'm going to store that. Uh, so what that led me to is a lot of stuff in the online marketing space originally, just because I thought that's what you had to do to be a quote unquote digital nomad. Right. right. Everyone's selling you these courses where you're like. Start your own marketing agency, like do, do this blogging and you're going to make a bunch of passive income. And that was all the rage 10 years ago. Um, everyone just selling you the dream. Uh, now I think people are a little bit wiser that they know you can't just drop ship stuff super easily and make a million dollars. But that's kind of what I started with is I kind of got sold the dream and then 
dove into a lot of those business ideas. Uh, so that was the start of my ideation process was what are my limitations? Therefore, that's going to dictate the type of business ideas I even look into to begin with. And so how did you come to the cleaning business idea? Yeah, this was this was uh, purely out of my uh, procrastination at work because I was on the, I was on this website called Reddit. Henry, do you know about Reddit? Oh, yeah. Cool. So I, I was always on Reddit on the subreddit called Entrepreneur looking up stuff and just to be honest, wasting time, but at some point I'll call it researching and I guess it ended up working out. Uh, so one of the posts on Reddit, on the entrepreneurs I read, it was a guy who had uh, started a cleaning company and he literally posted the steps there of how he did it. So I thought, you know what, I'm trying all this other stuff. None of it seems to be working. Let me give this a shot, right? This is something my, my mother can understand if she needs to work for the company. It's a cleaning company. It's nothing too complicated. Um, let me try this out. And I, the steps are here. It'll be easy for me to follow. So I started doing it and it started working. And, uh, you know, at the beginning, of course, I was scared to launch. You have the website up. I'm, I'm tweaking it forever. I didn't even know how to make a website. So I just threw something up. <laughs> um, but it really was just inspiration from a post of just saying, hey, this is the easiest way forward. This guy literally listed it already what to do instead of and going. And it was, it was a model that, that already took into account that as much as possible, except for the delivery of the service, it was going to be virtual. No, no physical location. You could be anywhere. That was the model that was already spelled out or did you have to interpret it? I interpreted it that way. Uh, so it was more vague of how you want to and do why, it. Why did, why did you think that you could turn something that's so traditionally no one, I don't think anybody would have thought you could do that in a hmm. remote style. What made you think that that was possible? To be honest, it, it, a lot of things happen after you get started and you see what can be done with it, right? I think this is where people struggle is they, they overthink the business idea and they don't execute. Uh, and uh, look, I, I'm guilty of that too. But in this one case, I think I was not guilty of it where I thought, I don't know how I'm going to make this remote. I don't know. I don't care. I'm just going to do it right now and let's see how, what money comes from it. Yeah. And you and were, the, you know, again, that what comes into play here, Neil, is your lack of fear of failure you're okay hmm. with trying something. And if it doesn't work, you'll pivot. Yeah, absolutely. And look, for all the audience listening, um, that's a developed skill. And that's easy to say in hindsight. At the time, I was scared. I was scared of, of launching anything, right? Because I'm like, I don't know if it's going to fail. I don't know how much money I'm going to spend on this. So uh, in hindsight, it is, for me, great revisionist history to say I was fearless of it. The reality was I was still scared of it. But I thought, you know what? Forget it. Let me just try and give us a shot and it actually ended up working out. Okay. I, I'm glad you clarified that because that's fair, but regardless of the fear, you had the courage to move forward anyway. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. yeah and I appreciate that. So yeah, I ended up moving forward and look, this is the one that kind of worked. So now here's where the issue happened or, or I guess my mental shift happened as I was building made this, I still thought I can't do this remote. Like this is, I'm glad this is getting money. I could pay my parents money uh, since they needed it. But I can't do this remote because it is a local company. So I was okay. Still so where to... where are you in the process here? This is after you've launched and you've got revenues. Is that what mm -hmm. you exactly launched? Got revenues. Maybe I was making a couple thousand dollars in profit at the time. Uh, um, a couple thousand a month, a year. A yeah, a couple thousand a month in profit. So let's say okay. maybe six to nine months down the line. And We're let me just back up for a second. From the sure. time you read that Reddit post to launching, what what period of time was that? So this was in 2013, and it probably took me about two to three months. Okay, all right. Yeah, two to three right, months. So you're, you're a few months into generating revenues, and that's when you have this moment of thinking, can this really be local? I mean, can I still be local and remote, rather? 
can I do this while I'm abroad? That was the biggest question I had. At that and, point, you were you still had your job or had you already gone to Columbia? Yep, still had my job. So I, I was working on this part-time from 2013 to 2015, just put in context. In 2015, uh, I'll get to this, but 2015 is when we were around maybe 30000 a month in revenue. That's when I decided to quit and go full-time. Wow. But until this point, you know, the first year, after the first year, I, we were probably max of 10000 a month in revenue. Um, so, you know, chugging along well, better than the other projects I was trying to work on. But I just, I didn't, you know, no one said, yeah, you could do a cleaning company remotely. Uh, everyone all just said, well, if you want to be a digital nomad, you must do coaching course, e-commerce, drop shipping, right? I, I just thought like, well, uh, that's the only option. That's what I've been told. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I didn't think I could marry the two. And um, finally, the aha moment was I went to a conference uh, for, there's a company called Flippa where you could buy and sell websites, right? Because I was like, okay, I want to start some e-commerce company still. This is why you still had the, what what did you think was going to happen with the cleaning business? It was this little side business you might pass to your parents or what what were you thinking? Exactly that. That like, hey, look, chug along, make a couple thousand dollars, help them pay off their mortgage, let it go steady state. And I'm happy. That's that's what I thought. I said, this is great. Well, uh, I'm glad this is running while I figure out what I really want to do is kind of what I thought. Um, And so, you know, I was at this conference for people who had purely digital website-based companies. And one guy was telling him about made this and he was like, uh, why are you just not doing that? Like you're here competing against all of us right now for e-commerce and all of us are novices and there's big guys out there. You already have something that's working. Yeah. Why not just work on that? Uh, and it's kind of an aha moment where I'm like, okay, I've been looking at this completely the wrong way. Let me look at this cleaning company because I'm mostly doing it remote now. Now, if I want to scale, can I still do remote? Mm-hmm. And that's when I just said, all right, forget all these other projects. Let me just figure out this mousetrap here. How do I make this remote? How do I scale it? And that's kind of where it started. Interesting. This is Henry Lopez with a brief break from this episode to share a special offer from our show sponsor, LinkedIn Jobs. Today, many small business owners are busier than ever because they're focused on managing and growing their business. They can't always spend the time they wish they could on recruiting. That's why LinkedIn Jobs has made it easier to find and hire the best candidates for free. I personally like the role templates that help me create an effective job post and the screening questions. They help me save valuable time in determining which candidates I want to schedule an interview with. Get started by posting your job for free to reach LinkedIn's network of 740 million professionals. And it's easy. Just fill out targeted screening questions to get your role in front of the most qualified candidates with the experience, skills, and motivation you need. Then use LinkedIn Jobs as simple tools to filter and prioritize the top candidates you'd like to interview. LinkedIn Jobs will help you hire the right person for your role. And your first job post is free. Just visit linkedin.com slash how. Again, that's linkedin.com slash H-O-W to post your first job for free. Terms and conditions apply. How did you fund uh, the launch? Is it from savings? Did you get any outside money? How did you, how did you start the funding, with, uh, the funding to start it? Yeah, uh, all bootstrapped. Uh, it's very, it's very uh, cost-efficient to launch. And keep in mind, Henry, I had a terrible looking website. I made my my logo from Microsoft Word and I just like <laughs> screenshotted it. Like it was I awful. 
uh, I probably launched all in and under a thousand dollars. Yeah. You know, uh, you know what I love about that in particular, even nowadays is that we can get so hung up and hide behind, Oh, I've got to have the perfect logo. And the reality is that sure it helps. We don't want to create friction, but at the end of the day, if the, if what you have to offer, there's a market for, that's what you got to focus on, right? Is generating that revenue. And then you can go back and fix those things, I suppose. Yeah. And what I found is like the entrepreneurs who could do changes at a, a faster velocity uh, are the ones yeah. who win, not the ones who are constantly going steady with the correct product, right? Meaning like yeah. you launch, you reiterate, you launch, you reiterate, you launch, reiterate, and you just keep reiterating. Um, but that's that's how you get ahead. It's not just by having the, a great product and just going forward with that one product constantly. Yeah, yeah, no, that's that's huge. We talk about that a lot on the show. That MVP approach is is so critical. Um, why the focus on vacation rentals? Hmm. Uh, another thing which happened by chance, and uh, Henry, I feel like a lot of this conversation, I'm like, I don't know what happened, but it just happened to me, <laughs> which is which is kind of how these things go. I think a lot of times, like the, the phrase I like a lot is, you can't steer a, a parked car. Uh, meaning if you're not moving, you don't see what opportunities are out there until you get moving. And that's oftentimes what I found during my entrepreneurial journey is you just got to get moving. It doesn't matter if you're in the wrong direction, go in the wrong direction, and then you could turn the steering wheel and go in the right direction. But if you're parked, you can't move anywhere. Yeah. So that's kind of what happened here is I got into this space, the cleaning space. I kind of decided, okay, hey, I'm going to try to go bigger with this. I, I see a path to making this remote. So let's keep working on this. Um, and then this is around 2013, 2014. And Henry, at the time, that's when Airbnbs and vacation rentals really started to grow, right? All these people were like, I'm going to lease a place and I'm going to sublease an Airbnb, make the difference and keep scaling that way. That was like the early days of vacation rentals. So I started to get calls from people and they were like, hey, uh, can you do Airbnb turnovers? And at first he said, uh, no, like that's, we just do residential. Uh, but then I started looking into it more and realized like, oh, wow, this is completely untapped brand new market. There's all these quasi hotels popping up everywhere mm -hmm. they all need pretty much hotel cleaning staff the turnovers are a much higher volume right like you know someone staying three or three days to seven days per month that's what 10 four to ten cleanings per month as opposed right. to regular cleaning which is once a month no one's doing this right now because oftentimes at least now what i found local service companies are at least a couple years behind the times um, they just don't innovate as quick as many other larger companies. So no one was doing it at the time. So I thought, you know what, let me, let me give this a shot. Let's do a little small pivot and also open up a division, which does short-term rentals and Airbnbs and focuses on that. And I got a thing in that market, because the consumers of that, both from the owners of the property to the renters are, we're already used to using a digital platform. In fact, many of them are probably not there themselves, right? So maybe more likely to accept that this was a, or didn't care that this was a virtual business. Exactly that. And they also had a <clears throat> mentality of, I just want it done. I want yes, this automated right. and I want it done because they're running it as a business as well. That's so right. it is consumer facing. However, it is kind of like a small B2B play. So for them, as long as the cleaner's there, they don't interact with the cleaner. They don't want to interact with the cleaner. They That's why they're working with us. They just want to so, know it gets done and it gets done right. And that, that they're the incoming, the incoming uh, guest is, is satisfied. Yep. Exactly. And now what I know about it is they could just offset the cost to the guest. You see the cleaning on Airbnb.com. Mm -hmm. uh, all they want to know is they're going to get a five-star review. So yeah. if you could promise that, even if you can't promise it, if you could help them get much closer to that in a much easier way, they will pay you premium. Which exactly. So it's not price sensitive, which is another huge thing. Yeah. Right. 
Right. Okay. Exactly. The part that I struggled with the most in thinking about this and preparing was how you handle the human resources side of this, the, the people who actually do the cleaning. First of all, are they employees or are they contractors or a mix? Sure. Yeah. In California, they are contractors. Okay. And so how do you go about doing remotely the recruiting, maybe not so much because those platforms are there, but maybe more the onboarding, the ongoing coaching and guidance, mm-hmm. the auditing that they're doing well, you know, monitoring their performance. How do you do that? Sure. So with, um, let, let me talk about local services business in general and kind of what I've learned. All local services businesses, they run two funnels. One funnel is for marketing to get customers. And an equal, if not more important funnel is a funnel to get labor, right? Those are the, those are the two things. One's the product and one is the end customer. And we kind of sit in the middle. That's how they think about it. Um, so what the way we kind of operate right now is we pretty much... Um, coordinate everything for the customer and then match them with cleaners who could do the job that they want. But it's a lot of marketing, a lot of recruiting, a lot of, a lot of onboarding. So let's say, Henry, we do a normal recruitment process of finding cleaners uh, and we get them set up on our software system and pretty much provide them guidance on what the customer wants, saying, look, we have a book of clients, they're Airbnb clients, they need cleaning done between 11 to three. Here's the size of the properties. Um, what is your pay rate? Great, let's get it set up. Uh, this is pretty much what they need. Here's a software system that we have set up with a with a homeowner. Here's you know how you could click and send your your client, the homeowner, any reports they need, and go from there. So I guess the way to think about it, Henry, is almost like a matchmaking service. Right. You're not these are this is not your staff. You're brokering this service. You're facilitating connecting the cleaner who's an independent mm-hmm. with the homeowner that needs the cleaning. Is that correct? Exactly that. And there's a high level of vetting, right? This is not an Uber type. Exactly. So it's not like anybody can sign up to be a cleaner on your Mm -mm. platform, for lack of a better term. In other words, not everybody can say can sign up for made this. There's a vetting process there. Yeah, like less than 2% will get to work with us. Okay. Uh, and, and that's all done on your platform is all done uh, electronically, virtually that vetting process. You know, pre-COVID, actually, we did group interviews. Um, so group interviews to see in person, make sure, you know, no one shows up with a bunch of face tattoos and like, <laughs> you know, things like that. Uh, now, I what I've, <laughs> one silver lining of COVID is that uh, typically this demographic is not very tech savvy. So group interviews is more of a norm. Zoom interviews, not a thing back then. So now who's conducting that in-person group interview then? Mm-hmm. So I have one um, office staff who is actually on location. I used to do the interviews myself. I used to go on the weekends to Starbucks and say, meet me over here for the cleaner interview. And I meet a bunch of cleaners every single Saturday for two years. Um, right, so, so that, that definitely didn't check the digital nomad box then when you were doing that, right? Nope. That was the one thing where I said, I need staff here to do this one thing of uh, local interviewing. And uh, that be staff, are they contractors as well or are they employees? Of that would be an office employee. I see. Yep, that would be an office employee. Yeah. Now, though, now the way things have gone, um, cleaners are more comfortable doing Zoom interviews. They're more, mm. It's more of the norm. Mm. Now it can be done fully virtual because you don't need that in-person interview. Okay. In the as long day. as you can see them on Zoom, that's the way you're going to do it going forward. Is that what you're saying? Correct. That is the way we're going to do it going forward. As well it's as the efficient. ongoing coaching, feedback, development, terminations, you'll shift more to doing that virtual? 
Uh, yep, everything is on virtual phone calls, everything like that uh, will be done that way. And look, the, with the contractors, there are limitations depending on your state on what you can and cannot do. Sure, yep. Right, yep. so that there's all the guidance that we would need to adhere to, but everything's done virtually. And local services, you go straight from your home to the job site. Now, there's different local services where you might need heavy machinery, where something like this wouldn't make sense. For example, if you're doing power washing and you need a massive truck for that, you probably can't use contractors, or maybe you can, um, and it's just a slightly different model, but maybe you want to provide the supplies yourself. But with this one, the cleaners have all their supplies at home. They go straight from there to the job site, and we pretty much help coordinate everything for them. Mm -hmm. uh, for the customer's end, we make it super seamless for them because customers, again, Airbnb clients, they want the least hassle possible. They want things automated. They are high-tech type customers. Cleaners are literally on the opposite spectrum of that. Right. Uh, very low-tech you know, it's uh, the communication might not be as great. So we're kind of the, in the middle of saying, hey, we're making things easy for both of you guys. Airbnb clients, you can't get paired with any random cleaner because you need your place to be a five-star cleaning. We vetted these people. We've background checked them. We've onboarded them. They know how to use the software. Uh, we're matching them with their property now. That's kind of the way it works. How do you ongoing measure then their performance, their, their cleaning performance? Is that is that based on the reviews that you get back? Is there a survey that, that gets filled? How do you, or do you go on site sometimes? How do you manage that process? Yep, uh, purely customer feedback and reviews. Uh, first of all, we're extremely particular with who gets onboarded. Therefore, hopefully we have not, with all the bad apples have not made it through our interview process to even get cleaners onboarded. Mm -hmm. Once they are onboarded though, uh, it is based purely on customer feedback. And you know, we have surveys going out after every cleaning just to see if the customer has any issues. Uh, our customer service in my opinion is kind of what sets us apart. Uh, when you're doing things completely virtual uh, and competing against other local companies, um, I think the biggest thing you can do is just have fantastic customer service. Mm -hmm. So on our end, anytime there's a customer complaint, we resolve it ASAP. Like the customer service is on point. And I think that's highly, highly needed uh, in the local services space. And honestly, it's kind of what sets us apart is because I think local service companies, oftentimes they just don't pick up the phone. I, I don't, I just, you know, it, it's wild. It's like, I, I don't know how many, how many thousands or hundred thousand dollars you made just from people saying, oh, you guys are the only ones who picked up the phone call. Like yeah. that's why they booked with us. Uh, anyways, getting on a tangent there, but yeah, I think um, we, we monitor how the cleaners are performing. If there's constant bad reviews about the cleaner, we'll let them know, hey, look, we can't match you with new clients right now because this is the rating system. Um, so we're, we're upfront with it, uh, but it is always a funnel, Henry. It is yeah. got to get the best cleaners in and then make sure the customers who are onboarding are very well taken care of. So why did you decide to move into franchising? Yeah, I was, you know, I spoke with a few people on the path forward. So at this point, we were doing well, you know, we were doing over $100,000 a month in revenue. Uh, and I thought, you know, this is great. Uh, but and there's a ton of demand for our services in other markets, because everyone's like, hey, we have no Airbnb specialized cleaning operation here. Can you come here? Because when you're at that point, you're geographically just in what market? LA in the Bay Area. So LA and San Francisco. But we were getting increase from like, Hawaii, Scottsdale, like Tennessee, just everywhere. Cause you type in Airbnb cleaning company. And honestly, our marketing is probably better than any other Airbnb focused cleaning company out there. Um, so we would pop up and uh, they would find us and message us. And I thought, you know, obviously we, we're not going to go to the middle of Tennessee, but there's got to be some way to expand. And the question was, do I want to expand by myself? And it is 
you know, there's a lot of moving pieces with any sort of uh, local service company because uh, you're dispatching people from their homes to the jobs. There's just lots of logistics. Um, or do we want to go with a different model? And I spoke with many uh, coaches and advisors about this and then decided, hey, let's give franchising a shot because it's a, it's a good way to pass on the systems we've created uh, to other people who are in different markets who can then scale themselves. So it, it was a good way to scale the operations to the markets, which th there was demand for it without having to do it all myself. That was the main reason to get into franchising. Yeah, I mean, there's, a, I mean, there's also a financial component to it. It's, it's, it's mm -hmm. uh, franchising is always a great way to expand uh, and leverage others that bring value to the system. What, what, what are some of the, at a high level, I, we talk a lot about franchising on this podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, what are the benefits that you think people should consider of made this as a franchise for them? Yeah, sure. I think there is a specific demographic this is fantastic for. Um, oftentimes, the people who have inquired who have been great fits, uh, honestly, have might have gravitated towards the story of, hey, they were working a corporate job, they want to start it, this as a side hustle, uh, scale from there, eventually quit their job and have a completely remote operation. If okay, that so that's, that's you, something you look for as that's acceptable, because again, some franchises want you to be full time in the business, but mm -hmm. you've designed it such that it can be a side hustle. Yeah, absolutely. Designed as it can be side also with the goal of, of course, going full time uh, to help things scale. And we've also designed it in a way where it is fully remote. And I think that's what attracts a lot of people is, you know, I, I firmly don't believe, at least for many businesses, including cleaning services, you have to be the, where, you, where your location is anymore. It just isn't needed with what's going on with technology. But if I look at a lot of the other franchises which exist, they're built in the 70s, 80s, 90s, like they have these old systems which exist. Um, so I think uh, a couple of things. One is uh, a big, uh, a big one is that it's fully remote. We have the systems we've done for eight years to make it remote, just out of my necessity for being remote. So we built these systems well ahead of COVID times. Uh, the second one is we are actually the only franchise that focuses on vacation rental cleaning. There's no other franchise which does that, uh, and it's such a like evergreen market with vacation rentals. It's constantly growing. Like Henry, I, I, I'm going to Palm Springs with my friends in a couple of weeks. No one even said, hey, should we get a hotel? It was just, hey, who's booking the Airbnb, right? Like this is just the new generation and what needs to be done. So it is so greenfield with cleaning companies in this space um, and no one else is doing it. So, you know, we've been working on the systems for this since 2013, 2014 for vacation rental cleaning. So yeah, I, I think those are the biggest calls to action is, hey, it's fully remote, relatively low cost, low overhead, uh, and also going after a very evergreen market. Is there a certain uh, specific states where you can offer franchises currently? Yeah, good question. There's about 39 states we can offer franchising on. It's on the website on madethisfranchise.com, uh, but there's uh, states which are called non-registration states. So we are in all the non-registration states and then a couple of the registration states like Florida, for example, where you actually have to register. Uh, then there's some states uh, where we're not allowed to go to yet, um, which eventually we might expand to. But for now, I think 39 to 40 states is pretty good territory. What's the current unit count as, as number of franchisees? How many franchises have you been able to, to secure so far? Sure. So we launched end of 2020. Um, and just that is- Just recently what, started, yeah. Yeah, just recently launched the franchising, which in the middle of a pandemic when travel is shut off, it's kind of a funny time <laughs> to be launching a vacation rental cleaning franchise. Uh, so we awarded our first one in Denver and our second one is being awarded uh, very soon as well. So we're going to be up to two two franchise units and then two corporate owned units. Fantastic. 
All right. So you are in LA though. So what's going on with you being a nomad, but you're still in LA. Well, tell me, tell me about how that's working. For you. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I, I, when COVID hit, I was in um, Mexico and I just had a lease over there Okay. and COVID happened. And I was just like, I, I, sh- in hindsight, it was like, there's beer and tacos in the beach. I should have just stayed there for all of quarantine. <laughs> uh, but you know, at the point, no one knew what was going on with the world. So I said, let me just cut this lease. I'm going to head back to LA. And I've been here mostly since, done a lot of domestic travel. But I think when the world opens up, I'm sure I'm going to be out more um, working remotely and, and kind of going back to a quasi-nomad life, at least. Mm-hmm. So what's I'm assuming the franchising is what's next for Made This. Is that the, the big focus for you now? Absolutely. Absolutely. The franchising, I, I'm super excited about it. And even with my experience with the first franchise and the second one coming up, uh, I think the coolest part is honestly helping other people do maybe what I've done or help them achieve kind of some level of their own entrepreneur journey. Um, you know, what, something I've learned through this is like, if you could pay someone to speed up your journey, just do it. I always work with coaches. Now I'm always in mastermind groups. I'll always pay for advice. Um, and in hindsight, if like someone kind of showed me what to do with made this, I probably would have sped up our, my trajectory by like one or two years at least, mm-hmm. which based off of, you know, let's say at least $100,000 a month in revenue, how much money is that that I've lost just by not getting proper guidance on this? Right. Right. So uh, I think my, what I'm very excited about with made this franchise is like working with, you know, we're not trying to grow to 100 franchises. I would love to get just get 20, right? And just highly curated people who fit the core values who I could see their goals and hopefully help them achieve that as well. So that, that is really what I'm focused on uh, in, in the expansion. What's the investment range for a, a new unit? Sure. The uh, initial fee is 35000 and the all-in cost for the first um, three months is going to be between like forty five to 75000 That includes the initial franchise fee. So you could say all-in for the first year, um, uh, you know, for initial investment, for sure under 100000 I got. I think a good chunk of that must go to marketing. It's pretty much all marketing. I mean, we are fully remote. It is a um, you know the franchisees get a piggyback of our website, which has great domain authority. Uh, it's just marketing and the funnels, right? Yeah. Uh, marketing on both sides, the customers as well as cleaners and operating that funnel. There's, there's, there's no equipment. There's no inventory. The cleaners are uh, independent. And so they bring their own tools and equipment and cleaning uh, supplies to the job, correct? Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. We are pretty software heavy in terms of like using okay. Zaps to communicate yeah, with so all the, the technology stack has some costs there, especially up front, I suspect. It's mostly tech stack and maybe your office staff as you need and marketing is okay. kind of really it. Okay. Interesting. Wonderful. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. Of course. All right. Great. Is there anything we didn't talk about as far as what made this offers that you wanted to mention right quick before I wrap up? You know, I, I am very excited about the franchise model. And I thank you, Henry, for asking that. It mainly just because I think, um, like I said, during my journey when, when I was starting, I wish I just had a proper blueprint to follow. I did find that Reddit post, which is fantastic. And that's a small example. Of, it was a very short Reddit post, which gave me some guidance. And I was able to use that as a bouncy pad to go off of. I think franchising in general, maybe not even made this franchise, but any other franchise model kind of offers that. As long as you, the listener, like if you want to get into franchising, talk with the company, see what their core values are, see how their support system is like. Uh, it really could speed up things for you and help you provide like a blueprint for what you want to do instead of getting stuck in analysis paralysis. So yep. uh, that's my that's my uh, my knowledge drop regarding franchising in general, even if it's not specifically made this. Absolutely. Yeah. Thanks for sharing that. We, we've talked, like I said, 
a lot about franchising on this show. In fact, just recently, we did a workshop, our most recent workshop, and you can find a recording of that for our listeners. You can find a recording of that workshop. We spent uh, an hour, myself and my uh, partner, Giuseppe, who is a franchise consultant, mm. and we walked through what are the things to look for. So I encourage you, if you're thinking about Made This or any other franchise, that you go and, and watch that, that workshop that's a video recording on the website at thehowabusiness.com. All right, we'll start to wrap it up. I'm always looking for a book recommendation. Is there a book that comes to mind that you would recommend? Yeah, one I loved, which is maybe not a normal business book. Uh, it's called Can't Hurt Me by David Goggins. Have you heard of it, Henry? I have not. It is uh, Goggins. He, this guy seems maybe slightly crazy, but I loved it. He's just uh, a story about how he joined the Navy SEALs. And you could call it kind of a military book, but it's just his journey of how he, how he went from being a very lazy guy to a Navy SEAL and kind of what he's doing now with ultra marathons and things. Uh, just very inspiring to like understand his thought process and um, how he went about it. it. Really, and I think just that love, just understanding the mentality of guys like that, even to like one percent, uh, helps you out a lot. So that's mm-hmm. that's definitely a book recommendation which has made a huge impact for me. Great, thank you. I've not had that recommendation before, so I appreciate that. We'll have a link to that on the show notes page as well at thehowwithbusiness.com. I will wrap it up with this last question, Neil. What, what's one thing you want us to take away from this conversation that we've had? I mean, it's been far ranging, but related to what, what it takes to launch and grow a business. Let's do a two-part about that. And then kind of what you want us to take away as far as the franchising opportunity. Sure. Um, I think with launching your own business, I think having your a loose goal in mind, at least, is what you should be thinking about and understanding the parameters you're going to operate in. Otherwise, you could look at infinite possibilities. And oftentimes, I, I always advise any franchise prospects um, of this is just mentality you should approach business in is that the business is there to support your life. Your life is not centered around the business, meaning I am a full advocate of a lifestyle type of company. Um, because I think that's how it should be. And I think you're able to, you're going to be able to work longer, you're going to be able to operate better if your business is there to support your life, not the opposite way. So keep the, your, your life goals in mind first and then build a business around what your life goals are. I think, in, in my opinion, that is the best way to do it and actually how you'll be set up for long-term success with that. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And, and it relates to what you were talking about as well, that defining that criteria as much as possible up front, there's things you're going to add to that list. But like for you, that remote component was critical. It had to be in alignment with this lifestyle that you wanted to provide you. I I think that's critical advice. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. Yeah. And Henry, I think uh, you mentioned for your second question, other advice I might provide around franchising or anything around that. Yeah. Yeah. Or considering made this as a franchise. What are your thoughts there? Sure. I, I honestly, I think the biggest thing is like, make sure it's a cultural fit. And I'm saying this for me, this as well, like the business model and value proposition, I feel like are pretty clear. It's a remote business. It's low cost. Uh, it's focusing on a new niche and we're kind of the new kids on the block in terms of cleaning companies for franchising. I think some one person once called us the franchise for millennials, right? So uh, that's great if that's what you're looking for. But if you look at me, this, if you look at any other business opportunities which pop up, and I, I am a big advocate of the franchising world in general, I think just the, the culture of who the founder is, of what the company stands for, of how they operate is so, so important. And I, can, I kind of think that goes into my first answer of design your lifestyle first and then find something to fit it. If you want a blueprint to follow, 
still define your lifestyle first, then go to the franchise world and say, hey, I'm looking for these aspects to fulfill what I want over here. If maybe this helps fulfill that, that's fantastic. If not, there's a ton of other great, great businesses out there which can fulfill it. So it's, it, it's, it's, it's a perfect combo. Have your goals in mind and then also look for an existing business model in franchising, which has that blueprint you're looking for is so you could kind of speed up a lot of what you're doing. That's great. I, I agree with that. Thanks for sharing that. All right. Tell us where you want us to go online to learn more. Yeah, sure. If you're interested in uh, Made This Franchise specifically, it's M-A-I-D-T-H-I-S franchise.com. Uh, you could also go to my personal website, neilparek.co. Uh, I will answer everyone personally there as well. Wonderful. Neil, great conversation, insightful, inspiring. Thanks for, me for sharing your story and for being with me today. Cool. Thank you for having me, Henry. That was fun. This is Henry Lopez, and thanks for joining me on this episode of The How of Business. My guest today, again, was Neil Parekh. We release new episodes every Monday morning, and you can find us anywhere you listen to podcasts, including Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, or at our website, thehowofbusiness.com. Thanks again for listening. Thank you for listening to The How of Business. For more information about our coaching programs, online courses, show notes pages, links, and other resources, please visit thehowofbusiness.com.